Welcome to episode 16 of Miles and Pints, the Travel and Beer Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Brownson, and together we're going to drink our way through this world, one pint at a time. Whether you love to travel, you love a cold local beer, or you just can't get enough of either, you're listening to the right podcast. That's what we're here to talk about. Our guest today is Dan Minner, the head brewer at Ellicottville Brewing Company in Ellicottville, New York. Not only is this the largest and oldest craft brewery we've talked to here on the podcast, but Dan has been with them since very close to the beginning. Listen in as we hear about how he got into brewing, what's changed at EBC over the years, and all about the cool collaborations and delicious beers that they're making today. Before we get to that interview, though, let's take a minute to thank our regular listeners. Without you, we'd just be talking to ourselves. If you haven't already, click that button to subscribe to the show so you don't miss anything that we have coming down the line. I also want to say a quick thanks to our guest co-host for this show, Eric Coleman from Beer by Coleman. Eric took time out of his Saturday to drive down to Buffalo and meet us here at the brewery for this recording. If you haven't listened to the episode we did where Eric was the guest yet, be sure to go back and do that too. And now let's get to the good part. Sit back, relax, crack open your favorite brew, and enjoy our chat with Dan Minner. Hey everyone, excited to be here today. We have a special episode going. I am live at the Ellicottville Brewing Company in Ellicottville, New York. And Derek wasn't available for this episode, so I have Eric Coleman back with us. If you haven't listened to the episode of the podcast we did with him, make sure you go back and do that. Eric, welcome back to the show, I guess. It's been a couple of weeks. Yes, thank you very much. Uh, Excited to be here. Derek, I am humbly, hopefully, going to fill the void that you have left. uh, And I'm grateful that you guys asked me to come down here and do this in my, uh, my hometown with one of my closest and nearest dearest friends and here to chat with us from ellicottville brewing company is dan minner who is the head brewer and has been for quite a while dan welcome to the show i think it was uh 17 years 17 Uh, years wow yes sir so welcome and thank you for taking the time to uh join us today as you can hear the the beers are opening and pouring and uh we're we're drinking away on the huge variety of beers they have here at this brewing company. I guess the first thing that we need to talk about, what we do on every episode, is what we're drinking. And I think we've all got something different here. It's a it's a giant array of beers. I didn't know where we wanted to go with it, so I just brought, you know, pretty much half of everything that we have up here. Yeah, I walked into the room and there was this big bin of beers. There was another bin with ice over the beers. There was, I, I think I have to drink about 30 or 40 beers before I leave if here If we today. come out of here I and those beers are gone, we have some serious issues some that we need to deal with. Some serious problems. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I, I'm actually on my second beer at this point, so who knows how the podcast is going to go. But I now have a, uh, it's a blueberry maple pancake made with, it's an ale made with blueberries and local maple syrup. And when Dan got it for me, he tossed some fresh blueberries on top. So As we do. They're I mean, floating in there and there. I, I mean, honestly, it was delightful when I had the first one. Right. I mean, it's a, an actual little treat, you know, high in antioxidants. But that, uh, that beer has been really popular for us over the last couple of years. Uh, we partnered up with fine folks over at 
uh, Spriggs. Uh, they are not only an amazing restaurant that has uh, great breakfast food, but they also are one of the biggest uh, maple syrup vendors and, and they kind of conglomerate. They pull from all folks, sorts of folks around the area uh, with uh, maple syrup and then they sell it off um, and uh, kind of co-pack it with, with different people. But Randy and the folks over there are amazing and we put tons of blueberry puree in there along with uh, a good amount of his uh, maple syrup that uh, he brings right over for us and, and puts into the beer. Uh, it's got an amazing maple aroma, you know, nice blueberry undertones, lots of caramely malts in there, and it's got a great head on it, it looks like. Yeah, I was excited to try this one because I grew up, as you know, in upstate New York, and maple syrup was a, a big part of everything. We went to the maple syrup festival and marathon, I think it is. And I, so when I saw that this was made with local syrup, I was like, yeah, I got to try that one while I'm there. What is it that uh, you picked up to drink while uh, we're recording here? Um, right now, I've got the El Mas Chingon, which is uh, one of three different beers here that we have uh, from our Falling Piano collaboration. Falling Piano is a brewery in Mexico City. They were kind enough to have us down in October of it seems like an eternity ago, but of 2019 to brew a few different uh, beers with them. We did in their place, we did our Chilanga, which has blueberry agave and hibiscus and horchata on their pilot system, uh, which has cornflakes and cinnamon, kind of like a, a liquid uh, cinnamon toast crunch kind of thing with lactose in it. And then this uh, this uh, mole stout, we were supposed to be able to brew together, but uh, unfortunately, times have not allowed us to do that. So we did a little bit of a, a, a communication via the, the intrawebs, and uh, we made this one. So El Mas Chingon means the most badass or the very best. It's a kind of a tribute to one of the brewers there. He uh, made a mole stout that actually won gold at Cerveza Mexico, which is uh, the biggest beer fest in, in uh, Mexico, which we actually had the privilege of going to to uh, sample these beers out with folks back in 19. Oh, that's really cool. Eric, what is it uh, that you picked out out of the giant tub of beer that we had to choose from here? Yes, from the carousel of delicious uh, beverages. I right now I'm going to make my wife jealous because this is literally one of her top five favorite beers ever. I am drinking the Pumpkinville Latte Nitro. So in the pumpkin beer world, Dan, chime in whenever you want. One thing I've found when I talk to different brewery owners, brewery aficionados, and then everybody in between, pumpkin beers are one of those polarizing type of beers in the sense of you either like it you're not, you're either team pumpkin, you're team not pumpkin, and I am team pumpkin. Yeah, people tend to hate it. They think they're trash beers and they shouldn't be made. Or you get people like myself who goes around trying to drink as many as possible in the fall months to see which to see who's making the best. Well, I've left some in the can for you to try. And in this particular one, um, there's a, a local large brewing company who does a pumpkin beer that is well-known throughout the country. And while they are friends of myself and friends of Dan's as well, this beer surpasses that in the sense of it's a little more dialed in, not as robust. It's delicious. And when it went on nitro, it just, it just it's like, oosah. Everything was just delicious. So this particular beer also uh, pulls at the heartstrings. Pumpkinville is a local pumpkin patch farm uh fall place to go covid kind of trounced it a little bit but it's it's quite large down here in the southern tier where people even from buffalo will come down and it's 
Uh, it's like very themey event forward, like a like a like a festival. Good family place. Yeah, so it's really good. But anyway, so Dan, you got corn cannons, which is pretty cool. Yeah, you know, yeah, air guns that shoot corn out into the field. <laughs> Those I are mean, the best. Can't. We had a place when we lived in Pennsylvania that had corn cannons, and then they had uh, apple slingshots also, and big targets set up, and you, know, you can't go wrong. With awesome, that. it's and a great place. They have the, the the freshest apple cider there. They've got their own press. It's a really nice family environment. They've got a corn maze. They've got helicopter rides. It's in the middle of the country. It's just a, a wonderful place to go, and they've been great partners to, to deal with, along with uh, we actually put um, some of uh, Premier Gourmet's coffee into that. We've got a few different beers with coffee in them that we uh, work with Premier Gourmet in Buffalo on, kind of part of that whole beer. So Pumpkinville Latte, you know, you've got a nice caramely base. You've got lots of lactose. You've got the coffee. You've got the pumpkin. Uh, I think it's a pretty well-put-together beer that we've been doing really well with and i think it's maybe our third or fourth year of, of doing that particular beer it's delicious well i'm looking forward to trying that when i get a little farther down here on my uh, blueberry maple pancake beer. coming coming out uh this next year with a bourbon barrel age version that we're going to do like a triple collab so we got premier gourmet coffee pumpkinville the awesome place that gives us some pumpkins and also that amazing family atmosphere and then uh, on top of that, we're going to partner with a place in uh, Fairport, New York called Iron Smoke Distillery. And we're going to age uh, 60 barrels of that in their barrels uh, and release that as a, a limited can release this August. So Yeah, I don't think that'll be popular at all. No, no. no. <laughs> just <laughs> when I cola. thought I loved you and the beer you make. <laughs> I just fell a little further. <laughs> so, Dan, let's now that we've covered what we're drinking and all the listeners are drooling over your amazing descriptions of these beers that you guys are brewing here, uh, let's get into your background a little bit. You said you've been here for uh, 17 years, quite a while. What did you do before brewing? Or did you, uh, like, you grew up and you were like, I'm going to be a brewer, and you started drinking beer and immediately became a brewer? What? What was kind of the background? I've got a sweet picture of me at like three years old with a, a six pack of Budweiser. It was a poor choice in beer, okay? But <laughs> Budweiser 16 ounces that apparently, while my mother was grabbing the milk, I pulled out and put into the cart. I might, I might be two and a half, three years old in the picture. It's pretty awesome. So yeah. maybe I chose that earlier. I don't know. We have one of my son at uh, Oktoberfest in Munich when he was eight months old. And it's him sitting at the table looking up at the waitress with both hands around a liter beer. <laughs> so I think he started early, too. That's awesome. So, you know, I did. A, I grew up in the area. I grew up in Cataraugus, which is about 15 minutes away from here. Um, you know, living in the country, there wasn't a whole lot to do during the wintertime. And, and I uh, was kind of in a generation where folks just kind of your parents just kind of threw you outside you know, and, and let you go. So I was in the snow a lot. I always enjoyed being in the snow. And as soon as I was old enough to get a job in Ellicottville so I could afford my own paths and start skiing, I kind of moved over this way. Um, I worked uh, for Holiday Valley right off the bat, got a pass, was able to go. I had to go out with my uncle to make sure I could buy skis because they were so expensive. I'm like, oh, can he actually ski? And then he let me buy skis and uh, so I worked at Holiday Valley for a while, and, and I worked at local ski shops, snowboard factory, making snowboards here in town with a, a bunch of my buddies. Uh, that, that lasted for four or five years, and then uh, 
after that, I moved out to, to Utah, which is actually, uh, so I worked at Snowbird, beautiful place in the mountains of Little Cottonwood Canyon, just gorgeous place on earth that everybody should visit at some point. But they had 3-2 beer there, and that's kind of where my, my beer side of uh, life started. 3-2 beer was uh, kind of overhauled before the 2002 Olympics, which is essentially why I moved out there in the beautiful mountains. But So we decided to start homebrewing. There's a, a homebrew shop called The Beer Nut. Uh, Steve Allstrom's like a giant part of the Utah beer scene out there. He has got a, uh, the Beer Nut, and then he also has a place called The Bayou, which is the biggest beer bar in Utah by far and they serve great beers from all around the country there's like a bible you get when you come in and it's just thick and go through all these great different styles but yeah started started uh, home brewing out there with my friends uh, in the uh, ninth and ninth and in, in utah uh back in well i don't know maybe 2000 or so and and uh stayed out there for a few years working banquets in the restaurant industry kind of working in ski shops trying to get as many passes as i could so i can ski all the different beautiful resorts out there and and i i I moved back here in 2003 i believe and and started uh working for sat at home for a little while with my parents and then i was supposed to move on to vermont and then i decided i should probably get a job and i started working here at the brewery at that point and what did you start as? You didn't, obviously, having just done some homebrewing, you didn't come in as the head brewer, I would assume. Yeah, I kind of eyed that up pretty quickly, but I uh, came in as a, uh, a bartender. The manager at the time was like, oh, yeah, we're all full. We got enough waitresses. We got enough bartenders. And I'm like, oh, yeah, but, you know, I'm a pretty hard worker, and I, I really, like, am passionate about beer. I'd love to be a part of your team and, and come and come work and they kind of turned me away a couple times actually and eventually i was just annoying enough that they they hired me on as a, a second bartender to topper topper uh, took me in showed me the ropes and after a little bit i started assisting as a brewer here um i believe that was in it was 2000 it was 2003 that i started here so started doing some assistant brewing and over time we bought uh, the Fredonia location, Jim's location, EBC mm-hmm. West, in 2005, which had a three-and-a-half-barrel system that was just sitting there. So when uh, they bought that, they didn't have anybody to work it. I had been assisting with uh, the brewer here at the time, Andy Arena. And um, once they bought that place, they kind of let me go over there for one or two brews. Once I had one or two brews under my belt, I had actually known the original brewer here, Finn DeMink, who uh, is the owner of Southern Tier, a uh, local beer legend. We were always good friends as kids, and, and uh, I was able to go over there during one of his transition times and uh, learn a little bit about their system, turn some late-night brews for him, uh, and uh, kind of learn the ropes of... Uh, and it, it was a small at that time, uh, an industrial brewery. You know, we were under 10,000 barrels when I was there. Um, and then probably a couple months into that, working three breweries, kind of assisting here in Ellicottville on the 10 barrel, running the three and a half in uh, Fredonia and turning night brews on the 25 barrel, the old Saddleback Brewery at Southern Tier. I was able to uh, take over the head brewing job here I'd say probably close to 2005, 2006, 
So really just a couple of years, you had, you had homebrewed, you had no formal brewing training, but you no, were, sir. you were learning as much as possible in as many places as possible all at the same time. Always driving, always like trying to ask questions, you know, just learn about process. Yeah. Uh, it's probably real annoying. You know, one of those kids that you, you're like, well, what are ask you doing the over there? What are you yeah. doing over there? Can I touch this? Can I touch this? I, yeah. Uh, might've been that guy. It's a good way to learn though. And yeah. it's, it's interesting that you mentioned you worked here, you worked at Southern Tier, and I know the Southern Tier started kind of out of here. And Eric, when you were on the episode, you talked about your relationship with Southern Tier, and the reason I had you down here to co-host was because you and Dan knew each other very well. It's it's interesting to see how all these breweries grew up and kind of have grown to dominate the beer scene here in, in Western New York, at least, if not New York as a whole. Yeah, uh, it's it's... I'm very fortunate and grateful that I uh, did get to see it be an outlier. My dad is the one who brought me into it, as I'd mentioned on that, on that podcast, because of he and a bunch of his buddies turned into the garage at the time. Uh, the one uh, they were making wine, and the one uh, best friend and partner, Mitch, ran a uh, facility that also one of the things they did was tool and die out of Portville, a town just outside of where we're at now, and they made a one and a half barrel, three tier all grain brewing system in uh, part of my parents' garage. And I mean, heck, for my my practice wedding, I actually had like 12 beers brewed just for the wedding. And through all of that is how I got to know uh, EBC and become familiar with EBC. And at that time, when Finn was here, that's how I got to know. And then once Dan came on board, just being, I'm, I'm fortunate that my family lived down here and it was great um and all that but a question i know that is i i want to hear it again because i kind of know and it's awesome but because i've been in and out and everything else and then over the last 10 years been annoying dan and popping in and saying hello and trying to bring treats whenever i come down is uh just since you've been here and especially really taking on the role as head brewer and really coming into it and i can say this with full confidence uh knowing the owner very well and loving him and everything else things were going well but they had not really come into what ebc is known for now and i'm gonna i'm gonna toot dan's horn here for a minute because it, it's it's known that the beer was okay it was pretty good but it wasn't doing what it's doing over the last 12 15 years just really dialing it in perfecting it and building because one thing i i know because i do this as the director of a brewing program beer is like art you know like when people say it uh, friend of ours beers like music it chooses you and beer chose dan and dan is a talented artist with what he does so with that being said dan like since you came in at the helm kind of just piggybacking where we just left off jeff is you know how has ebc grown like since you've been here because and that's the other thing real quick i just want to set the stage for everybody out there 2019 going into covid the ba had us at about 8,032 brewing companies in the country. New York State is now the number two per capita barrel per production in the country. California's got over 1,000 brewing companies. Great. They have a 3,000-mile uh, coast, uh, and they have a lot of people. New York, we pack in 453 brewing companies going into 2021. And with that being said, when Dan took the helm here, I dare say the U.S. had maybe 3,000 brewing companies. I would say much less. I'd say, I know, was it 12 years ago, there's only 2,000, like just 2,000. Like, I remember when we hit the 2,000 in the country, because when my dad was doing all this stuff, 
if you got any kind of beer knowledge, it was gold. I have the old beer Bible and some of the, the old, old books because everybody was just scrambling for knowledge back then. And when Dan took the helm, it wasn't like you can do today where I run a virtual course. You can take this course anywhere. You can get Mosier's book. You, you can just listen to podcasts. We had three-way calling. <laughs> exactly. And um, <laughs> it's one of those when Dan came in, New York State only had, I mean, hell, maybe 10, 15 brewing companies at that. Like, no, Fred, it was probably Fred Matt. Like, uh, I remember when we did the uh, New York State Brew Fest uh, at uh, Pier 7, no, Southside, Southside Pier in uh, New York City. Yeah. Um, what it was like, I think Fred that's Matt and you and a few of the other there, people there? There was 54 <laughs> brewery com- brewing companies in New York at that time. And I want to say that was as late as maybe 2009. Um, it, it wasn't a giant number as far as craft breweries went in New York at that time. And I think what people don't realize is the craft brewing scene. If you are coming into craft brewing now, whether as a producer or someone who just enjoys drinking craft beer, there's almost an endless variety that you can get to. But back at that time, and this uh, brewery started in 1995, yes, sir. I, I believe. So that was, I mean, it was almost unheard of at that point for these small little craft breweries. There were not 10 breweries per town or, or 15 or 20 breweries in the local area. It's it's interesting that you've been in the game that long and that you've been here that long. Um, and and, and it, like Eric, I'm, I'm super interested to hear how things have changed over the time. Stockholm syndrome. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, like, no, it's, it's, what's your take on that? How's EBC grown over the years? Uh, the changes. It's been crazy. You know, like I said, we started with a, a ten barrel system. Um, we had a few, you know, maybe uh, four or five tanks for that. And um, in two thousand, it's been crazy. So, you know, we started off in this one little tiny building with all these parking lots. There used to be a lumber yard out back. Um, you know, now we, we've, uh, added on a new 30 barrel brewing house, brew house here. Uh, we went from somewhere around, you know, 500 barrels a year, maybe we were at 800 barrels a year when I started here to, you know, I remember my top year before we built the new brew house was 132 batches. So 1,320 barrels, uh, was like in 2013, I was like, yeah, we're killing it. And uh, in that year, we built out our new brew house, which is a 30-barrel brew house, um, which is uh, next door. We showed you that a little bit earlier today. Esau and Huber brew house, a three-vessel from Schobenhausen, Germany. Um, that got, gave me an opportunity to meet lots of folks from uh, Germany and from around the, the country that came in to help with the install. Just kind of gave me like a, a different sense of the mechanical uh, aspects of building that out and 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 being a part of those those builds and like the, the cool stuff that happens there the next year we put in uh some 120 barrel tanks and expanded that brewery and i want to say so that would be 16 or 17 we bought a place over in uh bemis point the old surf club which is somewhere when i was working at southern tier i actually used to stay with my buddy eric goodman uh We'd stay right in front of the, right across the street from the place I, we now have in Bemis Point, and uh, they'd have a movie series every Thursday night. We come, I'd get done at Southern Tier at like three o'clock in the morning, go over to the boat. Um, we'd party there all night long. We'd wake up in the morning, take showers in the lakes. Now we got a place there. Um, 
we've we've uh, since bought a, a building in 2017. We bought our Little Valley facility, which is 75,000 square feet, big building with proper loading docks, and it was so hard to brew the beer we've been brewing out of this location. We've got no proper loading docks. Once you open the garage door during the winter, there's no heat in it. It's a beautiful space, uh, but it's just not set up to be a production brewery. And there's a lot of winter here. That's not like there's a lot weeks. of winter. <laughs> so we're there's in a lot of summer here. here. There's no air conditioning either. Now we've got this beautiful facility over in Little Valley, proper docks, you know, lots of space. We put in a 60 barrel four vessel brew house, which is gorgeous. Um, learned a lot again you know I'm, I'm really lucky i've got a family of of folks who are very uh, mechanically inclined and friends that are too uh my my one brother-in-law bert he's a, a stainless fabricator who's amazing uh he helped me build that place out so uh and and my brother-in-law john he's on the computer side of things and helped me out I've, I've got really lucky along the way now i've got my friend israel here working who used to work for crohn's which is one of the biggest uh, bottling line and uh, packaging manufacturers in the world. So, you know, we're constantly just growing as we go along, and, and things have changed so much from when I came in here in 2003. I was like, yeah, you know, it'd be cool to say that I worked at a brewery at some point and that I was able to, to make 20 kegs of beer at a time to, you know, now we're making uh, batches that are, 360 kegs at a time, you know, 180 barrels at a time, which, you know, until you really look at that first one ferment and think about the amount of money and cans and, and the, all these little volumes that are coming out of there, it, it doesn't seem like a whole lot. But when you think about how many individual packages you're giving to folks when you when you make something like that, it's just it's just crazy to think about like the the amount of beer that we're making these days and that makes me think the one small brewery that i've worked with in uh, virginia they have they have five barrel fermenters so significantly smaller and they had a beer close to when i started when they opened that we tasted they tried adding flavoring to it they just we could not make it what we deemed drinkable um, so they poured it all down and they were sad that they had lost that much money. But when you're talking about systems that big, that's a, you said that it, it's, it's hard to imagine that much money, but that's a crazy amount of materials and the hops. And well, when the you pour it down the, the drain, you, if, you think about it a lot. <laughs> if something goes bad there, that's a lot more you're putting yeah. down the drain. And I, I hate to even think about that. So they, we've done it on every one of our systems from the three and a half to Fredonia to the to the 10 to the 30 to the uh to the 180 i mean if you're not you know if you're not you're probably doing something wrong it's not something that we try to do and i can definitely count over the 17 years patches that we have put down the drain but either way like it it's a it's a thing you know and and uh you definitely have to be uh ready willing and able to do that because if you're not you're you're not ready to, to make that much beer because uh, and that's know, things a, are going to go wrong at some point. That's a huge signifier or a huge way to, to pick out a good brewery because you're really – it's not that you're just making beer and putting beer out there for people to drink, but you want to have a quality product and make sure that you're putting out a quality product every time. And if that means pouring a bunch of beer down the drain, then that means pouring a bunch of beer down the drain because the quality of the product is more important. And I – 
would assume that that's a, a big factor in how you guys have gotten to be so big. And you're, at this point, literally shipping beer around the world, correct? Uh, maybe not the world. I mean, <laughs> I definitely haven't done any of that. Um, but we're, we're basically in New York, uh, Pennsylvania, Ohio, uh, New Jersey. We're looking at some Maryland. We do do some uh, subscription clubs where we're going to be sending beers to, to places maybe we normally don't have uh, beer on the shelves at your local grocery store or whatever. So there, there is a little bit of that. I remember back in the early days of, of brewing for me, people come up to me. Uh, Pennsylvania has some really weird beer laws. So they have like ABC distributors and they can sell to other folks. So a C store can essentially sell to somebody else in another state. They can register. So my, my beer was in um, Delaware at one point And I was like, how can that be possible? We're not in Delaware, but... Yeah, so so basically we're real. We're, sold it. Right, yeah. <laughs> we're real close to you know uh, where we are geographically, and the folks I think that uh, drink our beer the most are probably the folks that come here to enjoy our our outdoor scene and and the ski scene and whatnot. Um, that already kind of have Ellicottville as is a, a thought process in their head. You know, they're like, oh hey, I remember going down to Ellicottville. I see it in the store. Uh, wasn't that place great? Let's go have a, a beer about it kind of deal, you know? Recogni- recognition through travel kind of deal. And I guess that kind of leads, leads right into, I know one of the things that uh, you like to ask uh, people, Jeff, is that, you know, the connection between Ellicottville Brewing Company and the local community, like the area, like, how is your beer connected, would you say, Dan? Because you have been in this community a very long time, even pre, you know, when you came on to EBC, how is it connected to the local area? Because being from Ellicottville, I know, but I want to hear it through your perspective because it's it's a it's a fun tale to hear. You are a part of the bigger scene here because ski this being a ski town in Ellicottville, and that's Holiday Valley kind of built it up. But shortly after Pete brought EBC to the to the area, and then you are now embedded and ingrained with that as well. What is the connection like? How, how describe that to everybody who doesn't know Ellicottville or doesn't know much about EBC? I mean, it's a it's it's a great synergy between you know kind of some of the things you know the outdoor community and and having a brewery and the outdoor patio that we have here and and um, just in in general with the community, it's such a small area. Like we know everybody in town, which you know some folks see as a. Uh, uh, a detriment you know I, I definitely love living in this small town especially right now you can't get in a to be in a better place uh, everybody's so friendly here and it's it's such an area that I don't think is uh, affected by what's going on right now be, not not overall but um, your general lifestyle you can still go out and you can still be on the slopes and you can still do all the things we love to do here, you know, mountain biking, whether it be summer or winter, there's great trails here during the winter too. Golfing, fishing, uh, hiking, skiing, you know, there, there's just so many great things here. And that's that's what brought me back to the area is, is being able to do all these outdoor activities and um, be so close to everything all at once. You know, I'm, I'm uh, definitely a country boy, so uh, you know, the connection with the, the local community actually started out with you and, and, uh, maybe not so much you, but your pops and, and the Allegheny Ailers, you know, when I was a, a bartender here, 
they would come in every Thursday night with this homebrew club. And as much as I'd like to think I knew something at that point, those guys introduced me to so many different great beers every Thursday night. Uh, like you said, Mitch and your, your pops and Gordon and Jim Lee and Jim Lord and Mr. Sky, uh, you know, those guys, uh, introduced me to a lot of stuff and then they brought it, brought us some local things too, right? We started doing, reintroduced the Stein beers. Yep. Um, we did those for years. That's a, a beer where you go ahead and you get a giant bonfire going out back and you get some hot rocks and, and it's kind of like a community event. We, we had all these home brewers come in and help us get the fire going. We got this big old yoke and and a, a big basket of white hot rocks and go ahead and bring it into the kettle. Eventually, we started taking um, a recipe from one of our good friends and uh, started making a, a spruce sail, Neil. Uh, he hook, hooked us up with a spruce sail, so mm -hmm. we'd go up into the woods and, and uh, pick fresh spruce every year so you know local ingredients is part of that connection with the local community um we do that we have a new york state uh, farmer's license so we definitely use a, a good amount of uh, new york state ingredients in our beers but also just it, it, being a part of the community as far as like the local rotary club uh elegant bill family foundation you know we're it's such a small town it's hard not to be connected in in, as a, a, a hub or at least a, a part of that web of community that uh, really makes this place and places like it super special. And that's pretty easy to see in our conversation already. You mentioned the maple syrup producer, the uh, pumpkin farm, the coffee place. You told me earlier before we started recording that you had already uh, been out skiing this morning on the mountain. Uh, which is where my wife and my son and our friends that we're here visiting are right now. So it's it's clear to see that uh, Ellicottville Brewing Company is a huge part of this community from those partnerships and those activities to the fact that you're right smack in the middle of downtown in this what gigantic and absolutely gorgeous facility, which we walked through before we started recording here. Let's switch gears just a little bit and talk about, we talked about kind of the history and how you're connected to the town and how the brewery has grown. Let's talk a little bit about what you're doing now. And as the, the head brewer you have with a facility this big, you have a whole team under you, I assume. Mm -hmm. How, how do you decide what to brew next? Do you get to do that? Does the owner of the brewery, get to do that is it a, a combined effort um what how, what goes into that decision making process there's definitely a giant team in this you know like we're uh just within our facilities and our restaurants we're at full capacity we're uh, around 185 employees so uh there's there's a lot going into the ideas that come into a beer um and you know why we make a beer so sometimes it, it'll absolutely be uh, ownership going ahead and saying, you know, we, I think, you know, a chocolate cherry stout would be amazing. We made our chocolate cherry bomb. That's really worked out really well for us. I had uh, that beer last night. It was delicious. Thank you. Uh, so, you know, there's, there's ideas coming from all different areas, obviously in, in modern days, uh, un, untapped and the internet is a big force for moving trends and, and, uh, folks getting on board with different styles of beer. Uh, there's also, 
you know, a lot of us here, especially myself, that are kind of more rooted in traditional style beers, you know, we want to see a lot more like Kolsch's and uh, different style lagers, uh, standard Weizen's. And then, you know, there, there's a whole new generation of folks out here that are kind of like more into the lollipop style beers and um, uh, different flavors in traditional styles. And, and there's obviously a sales aspect. We have great partners with uh, Wegmans, Tops, uh, you know, uh, Consumers Beverage, all kinds of folks uh, in the area that uh, kind of help shape what we need to be doing to make them happy too. So it's a, it's a real balance between, let's say, management, uh, the, the young, amazing brewers we have right now, and uh, the sales forces that are out there that, that are kind of guiding trends. So it's, it's, a, it's a whole combination of things that kind of come together to, to shape where your next beers are going to go. And, and everybody gets their own little bit. You know, that's why we have so many beers on, on draft here in, or, in addition to what we have available on the market. It, everybody's kind of satisfied by what we do because there's just a giant mass of work there that can make, I think, most people happy from a very light and basic Pilsner to, you know, the mole stout, which is kind of like hot and spicy and, and lots of different spices in there, sour beers, coffee beers. You know, we, we've, we really cover a gambit of, uh, of different styles. It's kind of hard to say where those all come from, you know. And let's talk about that for a minute. You guys have, I, I mentioned before, the, the giant tub of beers that you had when I came in here. And then El gigante you said, tubo. Yes, you said, in case that's not enough, here's a menu also, <laughs> which uh, I have sitting here in, in front of me that is uh, even more beers that are on tap. Do you, can you tell us, or do you even know what the total number of beers are that you guys have right now available in cans and bottles and available on tap? Give, I give me like a ballpark. It, it would have to be in the 30 to 40 range between everything. I mean, there might be some stuff that's, that's uh, not quite ready yet, but all, all the time here at the main location, there's 25 plus. We have a new taqueria down the street um, that not only has our beers, but also beers from all around New York State. And we have seltzers now. So that number just keeps, we, we started uh, doing some pilots of root beer, uh, which is something we did a long time ago. Um, so that, that number is always big. And there's actually uh, downstairs in the 10 barrel system, there's a, a doorway that has Oh, kind of like a wall of uh, beers that we've made over the years um, that I I don't know it's got to be well over a hundred on there right now definitely well over a hundred because you know every everybody's kind of a part of that that team and that that thought process and just continuing to make new beers you know hey uh, I want this okay let's make it and we'll you know we'll put it out in the pub even if they don't want it in cans or whatever you know, it gives, gives folks here, when they come into our restaurants, a good variety of, of, uh, of crafts to, ch- to try out, you know? And how many do you have? Do you have like a set of staple beers that are always on tap here or always on tap at all of your locations? I, I used to say it was probably eight. I don't, I don't even know what the number is. A Monroe Street Pilsner is always a salad here. That's a, a beer that we developed when the 
German folks that built our brew houses came over. Uh, it's like a 35 IBU Pilsner. Um, real nice light, but like some nice, nice hoppy flavors to it. Uh, our our two brothers pale ale, uh, the blackjack oatmeal stout, uh, blueberry wheat definitely our number one seller in any form we go in. We're actually about to bring that out in nineteen point two cans, twelve ounce cans, any cans you can get cans, um, <laughs> any size you want you'll be able to get it. And then there's always a seasonal rotation. So basically, uh, for folks that don't know, we bought the Empire brand about a year ago. So not only is there uh, usually two bottle seasonals uh, in our lineup for Ellicottville, there's also usually a can uh, or two in the Empire lineup. So that it, it's just become this, this monstrosity of beers that we always have available, especially seems how we, we bought this Empire brand to kind of, we discussed earlier that, you know, we're basically in this, this five, six state area. And uh, Ellicottville, like I said, the folks that travel here remember us and want to, you know, relive memories of their, their trips to Ellicottville. And when they see it in a store, they pick it up. Well, that didn't really work out for us so far outside of the area that folks usually travel here to enjoy the out, outdoor activities. So. Uh, when the Empire Brewing Company had um, some difficulties, we bought that brand up because they had uh, recognition and that name isn't so um, location centric. You know, like with that name, we feel like we can bring new beers out and travel further than folks who know where Ellicottville is. And we joked around earlier when I. I came to the realization that you guys owned Empire now because that was, I grew up in Syracuse, that's a Syracuse brewery. Yes, sir. And I knew that it was under new management, but I didn't know it was you guys who had bought it. Um, you joked earlier that you're going to buy up every brewery that starts with E. Whoa, whoa, whoa. So Stop would... that. Right there. <laughs> <laughs> that was a joke. I don't want to. So, I'll get beef immediately. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the, the folks at Empire, you know, they're, they're amazing friends of mine. I knew them uh, since probably the day I started brewing. I I knew those guys up there, and I had a real respect for what they were doing. And uh, when when that came up, it really it was a surprise to me. And and they helped me out a lot to kind of meld what they were doing with what we were doing, and kind of take us and slingshot into that next 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 era. So I I talked at length with Timmy Butler, who was the old head brewer there, and and he guide guide me in the right ways i think and and we've taken some of what he was doing and put our own tweaks on it but we've always had a very close relationship and 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 i'm glad that we can take that you know they they started in 1994 they were right around when we started and and uh they helped us a lot with exposure in new york city um they put on the governor governor's island brew fest just great people and we're glad to have the brand Awesome. Uh, and I guess with all of that being said, because of everything you do under EBC and then the other brands you're acquiring and everything else, I mean, I guess what uh, what's coming out next? What can maybe customers be excited about? Like, what do you have on the drawing board? Well, we got a couple things going on right now. We've really started to play around with the State of Mind series. This one we actually just canned, I think, Tuesday 
which is the state of mind sour. So Empire State of Mind. Uh, this one's got tangerine and a little bit of vanilla in it. It's a sour Nipa with uh, Sabro hops in it. Made a huge amounts of tangerine aroma. Uh, it's great. So that, that's coming out under the uh, Empire brand. We just released the Empire Black Magic Stout, which is a barrel-aged stout, like 6.5%. I might be wrong on that. It might be 7 But that's a barrel-aged stout that we aged in bourbon barrels uh, for a year. And then we also blended in a new batch on top of it. So it's kind of a unique thing. It's got lots of lactose. Lots of those nilin qualities from the barrel, a lot of caramely undertones, lots of chocolate chocolate flavor from uh, this amazing chocolate malt I get out of England. So that's going on. Um, coming up, we've got uh, actually quite a few sour beers going on. Uh, so we got uh, Mary Goes Round, which is uh, kind of an idea for a sour rotational in cans, which this current version is a dark berry. Uh, we're using uh, raspberry, blackberry, dark uh, currant, and uh, that's going to be coming out in 16-ounce cans under the Ellicottville brand here fairly shortly. And then uh, pineapple upside-down shake, which is a pineapple cherry uh, nipa with cashmere hops in it uh, that has done really well for us in the past. I mean, it's this summer is going to be crazy. We're putting in a new bot, or can line, sorry. Uh, so we already have a beautiful bottling line at our Little Valley, Valley facility that runs right about 180 can bottles a minute. And we're about to put a, a Cosme can line in, which is really going to give us the opportunity to bust out a, a, a good amount of uh, new products at our bigger facility. Right now we're kind of caught between three brew houses. We're between the, the four, uh, the half barrel brew house in Bemis, the 10 barrel in Ellicottville, the 30 barrel in Ellicottville, and the 60 barrel in Little Valley. So having that 60 barrel at the plant in Little Valley is definitely going to, or having that can line at the 60 barrel is going to really help us to grow over the next year. People will be able to find a lot more in stores and all over the place in in New York and the surrounding communities. Is there, we've talked about what you have going is there anything that's like there in the back of your head that you're like, I would love to brew this, but it hasn't quite shown up yet? Is there something that you're like, ah, we need to make one of these soon? Uh, the thing the brew crew really wants to do the most is a throwback kind of like a variety pack. We've been really getting into variety packs lately. Last year, uh, our team, Emily, Steve, Josh, and uh, killed it on – uh, the infusion pack. We did a cranberry sage. We did uh, the chalanga blueberry agave hibiscus. Uh, we did uh, honey jasmine ginger, and then we also did an elderberry hellas in that pack. So the variety packs have been a big part of our growth. Um, so one of the ideas that everybody's had recently is to just do like a, a throwback pack, not necessarily of our beers, but of old school styles. You know, right now we have a Scotch ale on on tap downstairs. You know, doing like quacks, ESBs, um, really old school, traditional, straight up styles rather than, you know, we sometimes say like, okay, the mole stout, it's a stout is the style, right? It's kind of a flavored style. It's got uh, Yeo, Pasilla, Ancho peppers in it. It's got cardamom. It's got cinnamon. It's got, you know, it's got all this stuff in it. 
There was a lot going on in that beer. There was it was, a lot going it was on delicious. I would definitely I drink another it. one. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's one of my faves. But not a classic stout flavor. But not a classic stout flavor. So, you know, there's really a lot, always a lot of push. I'm sure this is true of every brewery in the world that, you know, we all make these beers, which people enjoy, but we also have a hankering to be classical and throw back to our roots. And I think that's probably the biggest thing that myself and the brew crew are kind of like waiting on is like a throw, a throw backpack that we can kind of like put some different uh, old school beers into and, and get to uh, kind of flex that, you know, just the classics and no fancy flavors. And I think right. that some breweries try to brew those classic beers and they don't have the I mean, it takes a lot of skill to brew, for example, a Pilsner and have it come out as a delicious Pilsner because there's not a lot you can play with to change the flavor of that. That has to be a solid process and a solid brew. So to do that classics pack, I think you'll find a lot of people that appreciate that and can really see the flavors coming through in those beer styles as they were designed and as they grew. Yeah, and I guess one thing I'm curious about, and I'm saying this as somebody who knows Dan pretty well, uh, but I, I, I want to hear from you because you make a lot of beer, and you're, there's a lot of people that love some of the beers that are maybe not your favorite or your cup of tea. Is there a beer that customers just go banana sandwich over that you're kind of like, I make it for you? <laughs> But it's not what I really drink when I'm chilling on the couch with the dogs at home. Well, I mean, if we can all have those somewhere, right? <laughs> uh, not to put you on the spot, but curious minds want to know. Well, we hope you had as much fun listening to Dan as we did talking to him. As you can probably tell by the unanswered question we ended with, this episode is actually part one of two from the interview we recorded. Eric, Dan, and I just couldn't stop drinking together and talking, so you'll have to catch the conclusion and see what Dan's answer is in the second half of the conversation on our next episode. In the meantime, if you want to taste some EBC beers in person, you'll need to make your way to Ellicottville, New York, an adorable little town in western New York. And if you like the outdoors, skiing, snowboarding, mountain biking, hiking, and of course beer, you should definitely add Ellicottville to your list of places to visit. All of the important points and links for things we talked about during our conversation will be in the show notes, so you can pick up anything that you missed the first time through. The easiest place to find those notes is at milesandpints.com. Thanks so much for listening to Miles and Pints, the travel and beer podcast. If you liked what you heard, be sure to subscribe so you can hear all of our new episodes as soon as they're released. Tell your friends and family about us so they can enjoy the show too, and please take a few minutes to leave us a review on your favorite listening platform. In between episodes, you can get more travel and beer content by following at Miles and Pints on Twitter, Instagram, or TikTok. You can also stop by our Facebook page at facebook.com slash milesandpints. And that's all we have for this episode. Until next time, we hope you'll find yourselves a little bit of travel, a little bit of beer, and a whole lot of fun.
Dizzy. Dizzy.